Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. But I am desperate to get back into the cinema. I've been grateful to be able to watch so many extraordinary things at, at home and with my family and, and, you know, the two or three people who've tested negative who you can hang out with. <laughs> but I am also, I really want to sit in the dark with a bunch of strangers and find this common laughter or the common gasp that you think, I don't know who these people are, but we're all having a similar experience. You know, and, and that's the same with performing arts as well as cinema. You know, I miss that. I really miss that. I miss live music. For Kate Blanchett, streaming is fine, but nothing beats the experience of heading to a movie theater. I'm Clayton Davis. On this episode of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Kate Blanchett about her roles in Don't Look Up and Nightmare Alley as well as her upcoming films, including Pedro Moldovar's A Manual for Cleaning Women, Todd Field's Tar, and Eli Roth's Borderlands. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Kate Blanchett picked up a Screen Actors Guild Award nomination for her performance in Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. On the BAFTA side, she was shortlisted for her performance in Adam McKay's satirical comedy, don't Look Up. With her impressive turn in Adam McKay's film, Blanchett is a contender in what is easily the strongest field of supporting actress contenders in the last 30 years. Blanchett plays a TV news host who carries on an affair with Leonardo DiCaprio's character, a scientist who's trying to warn the world about an impending comet set to strike Earth. Every time I try to ask you about your life, you seem to just tell me about your your favorite restaurants. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I just despise the you know, getting to know you part of relationships, so. Oh, okay, I understand. Okay, let's just get it over and done with. So, uh, my uh, grandfather invented the flash freezing process, so I come from uh, grotesque money, but I got away from it by getting uh, three master's degrees. Uh, I've been divorced twice. Uh, one was a secretary of state and the other one was a sport fisherman. Uh, I have slept with two former presidents. I speak four languages and I own two monies. 
two former presidents. Wow. In Nat Morale, she plays opposite Bradley Cooper, playing a vixen of the film noir ages, a role that she seemed born to play. I recently spoke with Blanchett about being in the awards conversation via two different projects, Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up. We also discussed her new venture with Pedro Almodovar, who she will be starring for in a manual for cleaning women, his first English language feature, which she also produces. I began by telling Blanchett that her performance in Nightmare Alley may be my favorite role out of everything she's ever done. And that is a huge compliment. You have the line of the movie for me when you when you say I'll live. It, it's two words. It's right after Bradley is physical with you. Yes. And yeah. It is the line of the movie because you said it with such fire. I, I can only hope to be like you when I grow up. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that's that's all Guillermo. I mean, he 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 wanted a great entrance for Lilith. I mean, for all the characters. He cared so much about um them all having their own kind of individual iconography and, you know, they're all cogs in this strange, dark machine. But he also, he wanted them all to have a great entrance and a great exit. And so he really kind of laboured over what that line should, what Lilith's last line should be because she's so enigmatic and unknowable. And then he finally, you could feel him going, ah, and he said, why don't you just try, I'll live. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he liked that one. Oh my God, it's it's so great. Um, you've had a great year because you also uh, were in Don't Look Up, which was the number one movie on Netflix. And I think rising to potentially be the most watched Netflix movie of all time, like it's working up that route. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, there were a few emails floating around saying that that, that more than our grandmothers and mothers. Had seen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... But I mean, yeah. Look, it's it's really it's really a kind of a strange thing where I, I took. Fortunately, you know, I, I I decided to take the year off that ended up being the the kind of the the epicenter of the pandemic, and I I agreed to do a few days with with Adam McKay, who wouldn't, and Guillermo had this long, you know, labor of love, um, long lusted after project, which was Nightmare Alley, and he said, "Would you come and do that?" and and you know, I was expecting to go in and out, and um, and and then all of a sudden, these things obviously took much longer to film, and they've both come out at the same time. But I, you know, I, I feel so blessed to have spent that time. This time last year, I was shooting Don't Look Up, and um, and and the year before that, was shooting Nightmare Alley. So it's sort of some strange, sort of um, delightful time warp that I've um, found myself in. So I'm I'm so pleased that. Um, that Don't Look Up has been resonating with audiences. And, look, I really, really hope that um, cinemas stay open long enough in whatever blip we're in that they can see Nightmare Alley on the screen mm. because the production, tomorrow's to production design and Lewis's mm. costumes and and um, Dan Larson's cinematography as well as, you know, the attention to detail, both psychological and physical, that Guillermo always gives in, in you know, all the films that he, he creates. Um, they're so sumptuous and it's cinema in all its yeah. glory. Yeah, I, I, I saw it at the Academy Museum and big screen was definitely the way to go. Oh, but, I haven't been there yet. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was beautiful. It was mm. gorgeous. And listen, I've been reckoning about saying that it could be my favorite Guillermo movie and that 
means like because pan's labyrinth like means the world to me yeah, but yeah, yeah. nightmare alley is like next level likeness of him I, I i i loved it so i have um one of the most important questions to ask you from one of my colleagues here it's about your costumes in nightmare alley and don't look up yeah. in particular the red and black dress and uh it's fire yeah well i well i mean look uh, Susie, who who did the costumes, was amazing, but we found ourselves in the middle of, uh, like right in the middle of of kind of a global lockdown, and so it was so difficult to get things in and out. And that was just one I happened to have in my closet. So (laughs) I said, look, yeah, I've got this black and uh, red thing that I wore under something else and no one will ever recognise it. It's kind of got a slight, not S&M, that sounds too kind of yeah. schematic, but it's <laughs> kind of got a, a dominatrix kind of feel if we skew it the right way. And so, yeah, well, um, I, I called Armani and they, they sent it over. So that was just that was just luck of having it. Uh, look at yeah. you getting a costume design nomination coming up here now. No, it ain't me. I was just <laughs> had to approve of it. Um, oh, but, yeah, awesome. so that was lucky. That was a lucky one. And Nightmare Alley, talk about those looks because you might have been born in the wrong time period. I think you were supposed to be. I often say, I often say that. I don't know which yeah. time period it is, but it might not be now. Yeah. Um, yeah look, I mean, Louis Aquaria, who did the the costumes, we'd we'd had a mutual friend in in, in common, um, and so I I sort of met him before, and, and and but to finally get to work with him was amazing, and. I mean, I think all of the costumes he created for the characters, and they're so idiosyncratic, all of the the characters in Nightmare Alley. But he, but the silhouette for for um, I mean, it was all given to me. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I mean, most of my time was spent on the couch with Bradley in that extraordinary Rochard test of the of the, of an office in those costumes, and you think, well, this is a bit of a you know no acting required moment you know yeah. or you have to live up to all, all of those kind of visual offers that, that 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 you're surrounded by oh that's awesome um looking at uh both roles uh you're playing two very different women uh both strong in their in their own right uh that really take uh their destiny into their own hands um, how did this differ from other roles that you played in, in the past? Because you played, again, amazing women like Carol and uh, Queen Elizabeth and so many others. Um, I, I think it was really important for me to, I mean, sometimes you, you, you go in, I mean, I always love jobs and, and both of these were that, that way you've got, I don't quite know what this is, but I know it's something. And that was definitely, you know, going down the labyrinth of, of the dark night of the soul that is is Nightmare Alley, um, and uh, you know the fact that that Don't Look Up was written pre pandemic. You think Adam must have some kind of crystal ball because every day it became more and more relevant and less and less like a satire and more and more like a documentary. Um, but both the roles really, um, you're in service to the story. So the first thing you have to say. You know, particularly in you know, don't don't look up. It's like, what is the function of of Brie Ivanti? And so I, you know, it was so much fun. 
and working with Tyler Perry and with Leo again, who I hadn't worked with for a really long time. Um, and that was what, you know, most, I had a, I had a high five with Meryl, which is the closest I've ever got to working with her, which was delicious. Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah, it was mostly with those guys. You have to say, what's your function? So that was my first kind of protocol. And, you know, obviously in, in Don't Look Up, it's to, it's to express just how far Leo's character Randall has gone from the epicenter of who he is, that he's ended up with someone like my character. Yeah. And um, and I think in Nightmare Alley, it was to, it was a battle of the mind and spirit with Bradley, which was, I can't tell you how much fun it was to, to go into battle with him every day, you know, to see who'd, who'd, who'd um, emerge victorious. I think it's Lilith. Um, it, it, yeah. A thousand percent is, <laughs> yes. That's not even yeah. like debatable. I didn't, I didn't put this together because I forgot at one point in time, Leo was supposed to do Guillermo's movie. So you would have yes. two Leos this year. Two Leos. Do I Leo? Just be, beating him both times. Like just keep yeah. it always victorious. <laughs> but you know, like it's, it's funny because, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a kind of a pool of, well, there's a lot of extraordinary actors, but there's very few people who could have played the role that Bradley did. Yeah. And in the end, when you have someone as particular as Leo and particular as Bradley, the, if you have one of those actors at the centre of it, the, the movie skews in, in their direction because it's led by their, their charisma and their take on the world and their take on the character. So, um, but in the end, I think that, that this, this hollowness that Bradley found, this, this dangerous emptiness that, that he found within the character, um, I think is really particular and could only have been found by him. And, you know, and there's, and Leo, he's, he's as funny as a, as a trout, you know, like he's, he's just, he is a really, really, funny human being but he's 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 able to um and you saw it in um in Tarantino's film too is that that sense of him able to parody himself and yeah. um make fun of himself and and make light of the character whilst never losing that kind of self-belief and intensity and and drive and there's a real kind of um uh duffer dufferish nature kind of to his kind of academic and don't look up that I found really heartbreaking you know he's very sincere and he's aiming he just believes that that of course people are going to see reality and unfortunately like you know the world at the moment that reality is the furthest thing away from any of our consciousness yeah oh, awesome uh, question about Don't Look Up that we've been thinking about because there seems to be some some, some familiarity at the end between you and uh, Tyler Perry's character Bree and Jack uh, yeah. when he's when he says like should you what should you guys should do at the end about having sex do you think that they ever hooked up was that ever in the story <laughs> that they hooked up <laughs> I'd love to see that spinoff I mean they did that with the penguins in. Um, in whatever that animated movie was. Um, yeah, I think Brie has probably hooked up quite a few times with quite a few people. Right. And, you know, it's that, it's that thing you can say that it's opportunistic or it's yeah. um, vampiric or it's predatory, but in the end she's curious about people and I think that she's, she probably at one point saw, saw Tyler's character as, um, as being, uh, you know, um, something to explore. 
But yeah. um, I, 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 what I find, and, and look, of course, the, the film doesn't deal with it at all, um, and that's what I love about what Adam does is he really talks long and hard, like Guillermo. Um, you know, Guillermo is obsessed by backstory, and Adam talks long and hard about you know the relationships and the backstories of the characters, so that even though the text doesn't deal with it, you get these fully formed characters that you can then riff off one another because you know where they're all coming from. Awesome. Oh, thank you. So maybe, maybe not. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't answer your question at all. Yeah. I think definitely. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but it wasn't written in the script. Like there was, there was no. nothing in there about no. it. Okay. No. So that was just you guys acting well and making it yeah. look familiar. That's good. Yeah. Um, with theaters and streamers coexisting now, uh, you know, don't look up again, uh, barreling towards, you know, maybe one of the most watched films of all time on the platform. Nightmare Alley didn't have a, as much success in the theater because pandemic and, yeah. stuff, you know, just all that going on. Um, how do you see those two things coexisting uh, like in the future? Like now that, you know, once we do get out of the pandemic, hopefully one day soon uh we get that you know do you see that type of uh those two things living well together that we can still save the theaters and streamers can live and do their thing properly well i i think there's an enormous benefit that that, that streamers can get by having their by testing the metal of of a lot of their work by having it um uh sc screened large I mean, you know, like a lot of people, I we were all stuck home and so we imbibed a lot of small screen or medium screen experiences. But I, there's something about, uh, and a film I made recently, the, the director said, I really need to go back and shoot that because I've shot it for television mm. and I'm wanting to make cinema so I need to pull back and I need to be judicious about when I go in here. And I think that when we all get used to seeing things in a particular way, whether it's large all the time or small all the time, we then start to, to direct our visual um, imagination only in one, in, in, in one direction. And I think that, that that's kind of, um, it can be a bit moribund creatively. So I think it's, and also I can look, I can only speak personally, but I am desperate to get back into the cinema. Mm. I mean, if I, I've been grateful to be able to watch so many extraordinary things um, uh, at, at home and with my family and, and, you know, the two or three people who've tested negative who you can hang out with. <laughs> um, but I am also, I really want to sit in the dark with a bunch of strangers mm. and find this common laughter or the common gasp that you think, I don't know who these people are, but we're all having a similar experience. You know, and, and that's the same with performing arts as well as cinema. You know, I miss that. I really yeah. miss that. I miss live music. I love listening to my LP collection, but I really want to I want to get back in a in a, into a club, into an arena and hear that live. You know, it pulses through you in a way because you're connected with an audience. And and so I think that that is something that streamers would be, it would be, I think a creative misdirect to say that the, the small screen is the only way to go. It's yeah. got incredible benefits, but it's not an either or situation, I don't think. After the break, more from Cape Blanchett from Los Angeles. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. And 
we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. We're chatting with Kate Blanchett, the two-time Oscar winner, who's a force to be reckoned with in both Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up. When we left off, Blanchett was giving a passionate take on the cinema-going experience and why the movie theater is still so important to her. But she also mentioned other live events, including music, which led to my next question. If you, because uh, you mentioned it now, now I'm curious. If you could uh, go to a concert today and you can make them go on stage and perform, where would you want to go? What, what, who, would, who would you want to go see live? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I, I just walked through the whole nostalgic thing with Todd, um, Todd Spelvin Underground documentary. Oh, yeah. That was possible. Sonic Youth, uh, Sigur Ross. Um, yeah, I think that would probably be where. Where I'd be heading. Awesome. Yeah. I love that you. What about you? What about oh, you? I mean, I, oh God, I don't like, I, right now I'm, I don't want to be depressed. So I would need some, something really lively. So I pro- I'd probably go to a, like a Mark Anthony concert, you know, just to like, I want to dance a little bit in my, in my section. Yeah, dancing is you know? good. Yeah. But, but it's also just to hear someone with pipes of gold, like to listen to Adele. Yeah, you know, like small, you know, because people are doing small gigs, smaller gigs now, and yeah. if you have that kind of the opportunity to be in a room with only a hundred people and listen to those glorious pipes let yeah. loose, then that would be awesome. Yeah, I, pro- I probably want to go to a Bon Jovi concert too, maybe like a Bon or Alanis Morissette. <laughs> I, I, I would relive 1995 and say Alanis perform Jagged Little Pill for me, please. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, because I'm the Film Awards editor, I'm always so fascinated uh, with award trajectories and you have one of my favorites uh you know first getting your first uh nom for elizabeth and then it took us a while to get you back there and i say we because we fight for you kate blanchett you know because <laughs> you you became like our like you know our yell at the academy like why are you uh forgetting about her and talented mr ripley and bandits and shipping news and Ver- veronica Guerin, and then you won your first oscar for the aviator. And I want to know, can you take me back to that night? Cause you weren't a sure thing that night. We didn't know if you were going to win or not. No. Um, and one of the things I remember most about your speech was telling Martin Scorsese, you wanted your son to marry his granddaughter, I think. No, his daughter. daughter. Oh, a daughter. I'm still working. Yeah. I was going to say, where are we with that? Did that happen? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it hasn't happened yet. They're young. Yeah. There's time. Got it. So work on that. We, we got it for you. Yeah. But uh, can you take me back to that? What, what do you remember about it? You know, I, I, I think I had a kind of a, I blanked <laughs> because it was so, you know, I'm, I'm an actor who's primarily worked in the theatre and I still, you know, I've always got one foot in that camp. I love that direct relationship you have with, with an audience and I, I, but I love working in cinema, but I do miss that, that directness that you have. Um, you know, and so uh, to find myself there in the room with the people and to, A, to work with Marty in the first place um, and to play Catherine Hepburn, I thought, well, this yeah. is a career killer. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, this is a, it's, my career has ended before it's even begun. Um, and then to find myself there, um, was, it, was, it was surreal. So I can't remember, I think Tim Robbins presented it to me. I haven't thought about it for yeah. a long time. Yeah, Tim Robbins. Yeah. He won the year before for like River. I think I thought for six months, oh, my God, I should call him because I don't think I said thank you <laughs> or 
<laughs> you're a legend or any of the things you think you're going to say. Um, but, you know, that was back in the day when there weren't so many award shows and in a way the horse race was not as kind of... Um, Oversaturated? I don't know whether, I don't know you think the pandemic's changed this, but it was just kind of, it was, it was a surprise that you ended up there. Whereas it's, mm. it's talked about even before the films have been made about expectation and, and, you know, it can, it can be a bit of a, um, it can be a bit of a killer yeah. actually. Whereas for me, it was just, it was pure joy. It was, yeah. it was pure joy. That's cool. Well, uh, and so, and, you know, as someone who built his career around that, I, I, I do understand the the criticism of that, like talking about movies before they, they're even shot, you know, about like what they're going to be able to do. And, you know, I know you don't do it for awards. It, it's It's been a fascination because the Oscars are so the pinnacle of what actors want to, mm-hmm. you know, aim for. Uh and it's it's been great to watch watch you go through that. Now, obviously, you go to notes on a scandal with Judy Dench. That's like one of that's a great Kate Blanchett. That's like up there. I love oh, that. Cape Blanchett. I mean, throwing Judy up against a bookshelf. That was. <laughs> a, I mean, that was. But she was like a ninja turtle. She was all kind of <laughs> suited up. But I mean, I I just think everything Judy does is amazing. And and watching her again in Belfast, mm. you know, you just think. You, I mean, and she was on stage not that long ago. Mm. I mean, she keeps having she keeps having a second and third and fourth wind. And she, I mean, the lingering close up on her at the end of, of Belfast, I think, was one of the most moving parts of the whole film for me. Um, I mean, I could literally watch her in close up for yeah. for hours. And she's so um, such a blithe and generous spirit to to, to work with. I, you know. I, I, I only hope that I've got another chance to do it again. Yeah, we're, lu- we're lucky to still have her. I'm so glad she's here still. Mm-hmm. And then you won your Oscar for Blue Jasmine. I, I always, I, because I, you're one of the few that actually won a lead and a supporting. Did, the, did any, did, did those feel different to you or, or is an Oscar an Oscar an Oscar to you? <laughs> um, you know, I must say, because it's an industry award, it means not that other awards don't mean an you know yeah. an enormous amount, but but there's something um, just to be in that conversation. I mean, even to be considered. I mean, this is the thing where you feel disingenuous talking yeah. about it, because you know you. I mean, it's it's all about the people who don't win as much as about the people. How do you feel that you didn't win that? And you think, well, yeah. you feel, and you suddenly feel just so disingenuous saying, "I was part of that conversation. I was." You know, my peers said that, you know, I was it was even a possibility. So no, it doesn't, it it doesn't yeah. matter. I, I I think because it felt I played Blanche Dubois on 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 stage, which Liv Ullman had directed, um, mm-hmm. which was uh, so, I mean, can I cannot tell you what such an important creative um relationship that's been for me with Liv. Um, but uh, it, it felt like it was a closure or an extension um, of, of that, even though, you know, no mention was made of Streetcar when we were filming. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it still felt like a kind of a, a, a culmination of my time um, and a really intense decade of working in the theatre. So it felt particularly special. It's yeah. awesome. It's good. Um, I, I have to comment on this, but I gave Guillermo praise and then I yelled at him for this. 
I love that we get a little mini Carol, Carol reunion in Nightmare Alley. Oh, we don't, Rudy. though. We don't. You're in the same room, which matters because I screamed at him for not having Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen share the screen to get a stepbrothers reunion. I know. I know. He's a, he's a it, was, it was creatively irresponsible. It, it was, was, you know. Horrible. But at least we yeah, had you in the perfect. same room. Yeah, it was perverse. We were in the same room. And, you know, she was brunette and I was blonde. So, I mean, I think there was one that we had, we had one exchange um, in the snow, which was incredibly beautiful. Very different to Carol, clearly. But that little moment got cut. So he even, you know, he became increasingly perverse in the edit room. So, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say for that. Uh, looking ahead now, uh, you have ma- many projects uh, it, it, coming ahead. Uh, you s- wrapped on Tar, correct? Yes. yes. Yeah, with Todd Field. Yeah. Which Todd Field movie? I needed it 10 years ago. I hate that it's taken them this long. Um, but what can you tell us about it? Because it is my most anticipated thing ever. You know, it's, it's, uh, it was a car. Con- it was a life-changing experience for me. Mm. Um, it it seemed that he and I had been thinking about a whole lot of stuff simultaneously in parallel, and then and then he wrote this script about um, ostensibly about a conductor's uh, a female conductor's fall from grace in a very male-dominated environment. But it's not about that. That makes it sound like it's too schematic. I think it's actually about the creative process and what happens when people get close to the the epicenter of power and authority in a creative position um it's 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 also about a midlife crisis it's um you know it's about so it's about so much um and you know about about the the relationship of the self to who one is in public and all of this stuff have been circling around my head you know um you know just because we haven't yet assimilated what what the Me Too movement has meant, because yeah. it, or, or what Black Lives Matter has meant, what systemic racism we haven't, or and systemic abuses of power we haven't we haven't assimilated what any of that means in our industry. We're trying to deal with it, but we're also remote from one another, and so all of this stuff came to bear um, in this story. And I just felt sometimes it's a real privilege to just find yourself in a story that has nothing to do with your own personal experience. It couldn't be further away from my personal experience. But yet you get a chance to kind of sit with all of these really big questions. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I um, and, and Hilda Gronostotier did the, did the, uh, has done, done the score and I'm working, finally working with Nina Haas, one of the, my favourite actresses of all time. That's what I'm so excited about. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really, I, you know, I couldn't be, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to see what it becomes. Also, an Oscar snubby. She should have been nominated for uh, Barbara. She's incredible. Wasn't that 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 is one of the most um, beautifully understated, deep performances? I mean, all her performances are, but Barbara was a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, I, Christian I can't wait. For I had the privilege um, in the first year of the pandemic. Um, uh, of heading the jury at the Venice Film Festival and he was on the jury and hanging out with him was really, yeah, it was That's great. Awesome. And Veronica Franz and, and, um, and Joanna Hogg and it was a really great jury. Uh, Eli Roth, Borderland? Yes. <laughs> yes. That was fun. <laughs> uh, 
and I got I you know it was um, Kevin Hart and and Jamie Lee Curtis and um, one of the great humans. I mean, I adore her. Um, and Gina Gershon, you know, who I adore, you know, like it, uh, it was a really great bunch and um, it's, it's from a video game. And so, you know, it's, it's sometimes when someone asks you to do something and you think, wow, I never get asked to do that. I think that was a bit like, don't look up, you know, yeah. like you think, yeah, I'll, I'll run toward that with open arms. Sure. And it, I'm sure like a lot of people, I, in that first year, like last beginning of, well, the end of 2020, actually, I just wanted to get out and run and have a whole bunch of silly fun because everything was the, the weight of, um, of responsibility and trying to make hang things together for the family and for your community and making things work. I just thought it was it was a a couple of months of sheer irresponsibility on a on a fictitious <laughs> world. <laughs> so that was yeah, that was a lot of fun. And the last two uh is I, I he told me a little bit about it, but yeah, you're teaming up with Pedro Moldavar, his first English yes. feature, a manual for yes. women. Yes. I mean, we're 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 grow, uh, both great uh, uh, Lucia Berlin uh, fans, and her uh, collection of well, all her collections of short stories have resonated with both of us for many many years. And we've been talking about working together. My son's twenty, so I think we began the conversation. I can't believe he's twenty, by the way. I don't know. I know. I know. We've got to talk to Francesca. We've, this has to happen, um, but um, yeah. So we've we've been talking since since then, and there was an opportunity to work together, and the dates didn't work out, and um, and so I'm really excited to be moving forward on this one finally. Yes, and then uh, the rumored one uh, in the works, maybe Francis Ford Coppola movie. That would be fun. Uh huh. With with with, with Zendaya and Michelle Pfeiffer and. Oscar Isaac, who I believe, again, we almost got Lucy and Ricky Ricardo with you two. It was close to happening, but yeah. listen, I love Nicole yeah. Kidman, so it's fine, but it would have been great. Yeah, I mean, you know, it became the movie it needed to be. You know, those things happen in the the, the right way at the right time, and it, it's, um, you know, and you don't, in the, in the best possible way, you don't always envisage the same thing and so then it goes on to become a different entity but yeah no I'd love to work with Oscar and I mean if if when Francis calls you just have to say you have to say yes because you're you're on the 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 epic life-changing adventure ride that you're on that roller coaster so 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 we're ready for that so what we're saying yeah I'm ready for that that's awesome that's Kate Blanchett starved don't look up now streaming on Netflix and Nightmare Alley, distributed by Searchlight Pictures, is playing in theaters. That's it for this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. The Award Circuit Podcast was edited by Drew Griffith and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. Join us next time for an interview with licorice pizza star Alana Hyam. Until then, for Janelle Riley, Jazz Tanke, and Michael Schneider, Clayton Davis. 
see you on the circuit. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.